0: We are in a race. The race is against time. I've been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every time. Don't be one of those people 20 years from now are going to be walking around in a nine to five job, miserable and angry and bitter.
1: Ladies and gents, welcome to Sound Conversations Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Judamati. I'm excited to wrap up our first season of Sound Conversations podcast with an amazing and renowned guest, Tom Douglas, chef and restaurateur. I want to give you a background about Tom. For over 30 years, this James Beard award-winning chef has received many accolades, recognizing his innovative role in defining Pacific Northwest cuisine. Through Douglas' self-taught methodology, he has mastered fresh local ingredients and helped define the cuisine and restaurant industry to critics, audiences, and diners around the world. Tom Douglas began working at Cafe Sport in 1984 in Seattle, and five short years later opened his first restaurant, Dahlia Lounge, with wife and business partner, Jackie Cross. The restaurant quickly became a staple in the Seattle dining scene and received national accolades, including a nomination by the James Beard Foundation for Outstanding Restaurant three years in a row, as well as Tom's first James Beard Award as Best Chef Northwest in 1994. Since 1989, Douglas has opened 18 restaurants. Tom is also the author of four cookbooks, including James Beard Award-winning *Tom Douglas's Seattle Kitchen* and *New York Times* bestseller *The Dahlia Bakery Cookbook*. Douglas has been featured on Food Network's *Iron Chef*, where he won his battle against Chef Masuharu Morimoto. In 2008, Bon Appetit named Douglas Restaurant Tour of the Year. The James Beard Foundation awarded Douglas their National Prize of Outstanding Restaurant Tour in 2012. Tom Douglas is a board member and advocate of Food Lifeline, an organization working to end hunger in Western Washington. Originally from Newark, Delaware, Tom now lives with his wife, Jackie, in Seattle, as well as their daughter, Loretta. Welcome to Sound Conversations. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Sound Conversations podcast. We're really excited to have you here. Thanks for having me.
0: What do you consider your greatest achievement? Well, of course, I've been married just on my 35th wedding anniversary, and to survive working together and having uh, life in the restaurant business uh, is quite an achievement. Agreed. And then, of course, uh, I have a 28-year-old attorney for a daughter, so uh, th- that's pretty darn cool, and uh, I had vowed that at 60 she would still think I'm cool. And so I just turned sixty myself, okay. and so she just joined the company.
1: Here's another question for you: What what about happiness? Um, a lot of folks are finding happiness through accomplishments, mm-hmm. whether it's athletics, whether it's business, whether it's family. Uh, what what's your perfect idea of
0: happiness? It was always options for me, okay. and it's what I taught my kid growing up: is to give yourself options in life. And uh, happiness to me uh, is not being backed into a corner, not making decisions based on. But I got to do this because I'm in this position, right? I, um, I, I guess one of the guys who helped me with that, both my wife's uncles, are feisty old farts, and and they always said that uh, you know what made them feel best was getting fu money, and uh, you know what I mean by that? Yes, yeah, I do. and I just think it's uh, it's an important lesson to think about and learn because at the end of the day, as you get older. You want to do the things you want to do, and you can't do that unless you've given yourselves options, whether it's financial, uh, business options, uh, not signing too long of a, of a lease, right? You know, I, I was very careful when I turned fifty to only sign leases in my of my fifteen restaurants that take me through sixty. Now I, I signed leases with options to go longer, but I was careful to give myself the option to be done at sixty. You know. Nice. I'm a big guy, I've been big my whole life. I'm not going to live forever and uh, I didn't, I'm a golf nut. So I I wanted to make sure I had time to do some of the things that I enjoy doing. The the caveat to all that is that I just turned 60, all my (laughs) leases are coming up and then my daughter decides to join the company. It's like, oh my God, now I can't not sign my options, right? Because I think she has some intention of seeing this through a little bit further than what I had intended. So it's, it's funny, the best laid plans. Uh, can be changed no matter what so that's awesome yeah but options I told her if you get the grades I'll send you to any college in the, in the world you know I'll, if you you have to give yourself that option yeah and she went and got the grades so you started um, your restaurant some years
1: ago your first one um, 29 years ago 20 November 15th yeah November 15th oh you have an anniversary coming up I do we're heading into our 30th year yeah wow Oh, I'm actually celebrating uh, an anniversary myself, and I'll be celebrating at Dahlia Lounge. Oh, nice. Uh, a birthday. So I'll be there in, uh, in a few that, days. Appreciate that, yeah. Let's talk about that first restaurant opening. So you took you took the yeah. chance, yes. and you decided
0: you wanted to open your own restaurant. You know, at the time when I quit uh, Cafe Sport, I was the chef and general manager. And essentially, uh, my guest is the highest paid chef in town, because I was on a percentage of the profits, oh. and we were the... Top-rated restaurant and the busiest restaurant going. It was it was quite the spot, and they it was so good they wanted to open a second. And that's when I thought, you know, I don't like to do the same thing. And you can see in my history, yeah, all my joints are pretty much different. Uh, but um, so I just decided to take my leave, thinking that I would try something else. I'd been there for seven years, and uh, I was ready to see what was out there for me. Uh, pretty informative years, you know, those in those early twenties and. Uh, it was, it was a good time and, and really a, a beautiful experience for me. But anyway, so um, I went out, put my name out there. I was well-known. All three newspapers, the Weekly, the Times, and the PI all ran full-page stories about me leaving, mm-hmm. that I didn't have another job, I was open for opportunities. And, oh, wow. and then uh, kaboom, I got not one call, not one. And uh, Not one call. Not one call. And it was a big story. I mean, probably in my 30 years since then, I've never had a bigger story. Maybe I won Winning Restaurant Tour of the Year, but I've never had more press than I got as I was leaving sport. More positive press. You know, this guy changed the game. He did all this kind of stuff. Uh, I just got nothing. And so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Jackie's uncle, my wife's uncle, had... Always offered to finance a restaurant for us. He's, he was wealthy. He lived in New York City. CBS Broadcasting used to produce the Walter Cronkite, so you know, show Well Connected, and he'd always said, "You guys are so good." He loved Cafe Sport. Uh, you guys are so good. You should do your own thing, and I'll finance it. Blah 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 blah. And so finally, uh, since nobody offered me any work, uh, I decided to take the fifty thousand and to open Dahlia Lounge, and uh, it was quite inexperienced (laughs) (laughs) being undercapitalized and being in the middle of uh, the 1990 recession you know we opened in 89 and george bush senior came out in june uh, uh, of 90 saying oh yeah we are in a recession and we could feel it on the ground we knew it yeah um so survived through that for the goodness of uh, my good friends and i think on the, the tales of being a good person You know people do things for you when you are a good person when you treat people fairly I had never missed a bill paying a bill never missed a rent payment Uh, when I was working other places always respected people and and in their jobs and blah 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 that came back to really help me when I was struggling you know uh, people my vendors took care of me not that they gave me things but they put me on payment programs and I put myself on a cash program because I'm not going to take them down with me yeah Uh, but when you are a good person, like I generally feel I am, I know I've said that a few times, but it's a life motto. Just live your life, be a good person, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it really came back and helped me a lot. Uh, so that's how we made it through our first two years of uh, staying out of bankruptcy and uh, went on to figure better things.
1: Yeah, so that first two years starting in a recession, obviously the, the markets uh, are undercapitalized. Or I was there's... undercapitalized.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, but in a couple of interviews I've watched, you have talked about data. I mean, it sounds like you are very data centric. Like you capture. Couldn't be further from the truth. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. It's all gut.
0: It's all gut. And I got plenty of that. <laughs> okay. No, it really is. It's all gut. Okay. Yeah. All right. You um, asked my CPA or my, my uh, lead uh, financial person at the company right now. He just thinks I'm out of my mind. <laughs>
1: what. um. All right. So if you were to look back and and say, "Hey, here's here's our successes. Here's what we took away from mm-hmm. that two year stand with or two year time frame. The first two years with uh, Dahlia Lounge, and here's how we can prepare for any future downturns. I'm sure you've experienced them in the last. Oh
0: yeah, many uh, you've experienced times. Experienced them yeah.
1: again and again. Right now. Right now.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's never been harder in business for me than it is right now. Really? And we are at the peak economy that we've had in a very long time. Interesting. What, what makes it hard now? Well, it's just hundreds and hundreds of new restaurant seats coming online every day. You read it in the, in the Seattle Times, there's about 15 restaurants opening to every one that closes. Uh, and it is just um, it's an easy entry business, mm-hmm. it's, uh, landlords are desperate to fill their... They're empty spaces that are being vacated by victims of Amazon and yeah. uh, other places, and that are being built by the benefits of Amazon, right? All these buildings around the Seattle that you see—60 cranes in the air, yeah. 70 last year, 70 year the year before—all those come with, by code, with um, uh, retail. rentable retail space. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's and it's a fairly easy business to get into, and it's a fairly easy one for a landlord to say, "Okay, I'll pay for you to open." You just paid me rent on the backside of it. So mm. we'll see in the next downturn how many of these places can survive. Right. But right now, but it's so it flattens out your growth because there's so many more options for people. Interesting. And so we work super hard to be competitive and to be right. uh, out there trying to attract people to our business, and and that's that's half of what I do. Nice. Very cool. When you um,
1: have talked about your modeling, your business models, and and how your your service focus. Um, service-centric business model, one of the things that I um, have heard you say is that you've taken cues from other successful businesses mm-hmm. in our region, Nordstrom, Starbucks, and maybe others. Amazon, Microsoft, Amazon, Boeing, Amazon.
0: Boeing. Yeah, But from a service perspective, uh, that really was uh, Nordstrom and Starbucks the most. And I loved, uh, always loved, I didn't know the backside of Nordstrom's very much, all, but I, the front side of their customer service was stellar and unparalleled uh, in our in The industry, and so Bruce and Jeannie Norson's were heroes of mine when they started coming to the restaurant. Uh, I just loved it, and they're such nice people. And uh, on the backside of that, uh, you know, Howard Schultz came to my restaurant all the time too, but I loved his business model. I love taking care of part time employees. We have tons of them in the restaurant business, right? Trying to get them the same benefits that full time employees would get. Uh, no, nobody's perfect, we're not perfect, but we tried hard to make healthcare. Uh, for years and years, our healthcare was twenty. Our full-time healthcare window was twenty hours a week, right? Because so many of our people are part-timers. Yeah. Um, so, I loved the way Starbucks treated their team and uh, tried to encourage uh, livable wages and benefits and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, I, so many good operators. I mean, Microsoft is unbelievable. What you know? How many? Very wealthy people they made and
1: yeah
0: Boeing was, uh, you know, uh, as a board member of the food bank, uh, we would look at that Boeing Good neighbor fund check come in for a refrigerator truck. you know just an automatic deduction that the staff of Boeing would would take for United Way and uh, there's just so many good examples of why Seattle is the most philanthropic city in America. Is that why you
1: have chosen Seattle as your nope. de- okay,
0: I was here long before I knew that. Okay. I, mean, I got here when I was just turned nineteen years old. I had none of that. I didn't have options to give anybody when I could I was down to my last 20 bucks I, You know, I had 20 silver dollars <laughs> in a little packet a coin, coin purse and huh. I was living out in Wedgwood at 84th and Something out there and huh. in the basement of a house in a room, you know uh, I think my rent was $65 a month at the time, but I was dead ass broke hmm. and I got into six of my silver dollars and uh, I remember I didn't want to go into 13 13 was my lucky number but uh, I, re- I remember you know a paycheck came in or something I had taken a third job and um, it was just a, it was a struggle. I'd been in a car wreck I had oh, wow. no insurance so I just was I was in a spot yeah and so I worked my way back up from there.
1: Uh, wow okay uh, <laughs> so, that must have taken an incredible amount of energy and, and focus to build up from having s- 20 you said 20, 13 bucks th-
0: 13 silver 13 coins. dollars 13 eisenhower
1: dollars um if you were to look at what was the things that helped you succeed mm-hmm. right um, skills personality mm-hmm. perseverance whatever it was well what would you say like how would you distill what helped tom go from that
0: Place and time to today. Effort. Effort. I tell young people all the time. I didn't go to college. Yeah. Matter of fact, I offered my kid one hundred fifty thousand not to go to college. Just offered her two hundred thousand not to have a wedding. Elope for God's sake! <laughs> why? Why spend all that money on a wedding? <laughs> uh, but effort. I get up and show up every day, and I have the same expectation for my coworkers. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. um, I've always said nobody out efforts me, and yeah. I would say. Uh, I'm a shy person, so that's something I had to overcome in in my particular business. Uh, I do tons of media, I have a radio show, always done, got up in the morning and did early morning TV. Whatever anyone called to promote the business, I did it. Whenever any charitable organization called, I did it. Um, Nobody ever has out-efforted me, and I think there's probably uh, more than a few better cooks than me, and there's certainly many better restaurant managers and financial gurus and Uh, There's there's all sorts of people that are better at things that I have to do every day than I am, but nobody tries harder, and so that's effort. That's how I look at my success is effort.
1: So in your in your businesses right now, you're I'm guessing you employ a diverse group of people, but probably a percentage of millennials. Is that is that correct? Sure. Yeah. And how does that group? interface with in this business. I mean, I haven't been there. I know it's difficult. You're a millennial. I, I'm an old one. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: you know, it's the same bullshit that uh, when somebody tries to say, well, you know, tech workers are this or that, or <laughs> fat guys are this or that, or black people or white people are this yeah. or that. You know what? We're not. We are who we are. Every worker is different. Every one of my workers is different. They bring to the table different problems, different emotions, uh, you can't put anybody in a box or any group in a box. Uh, that's the I, I'd say that's the number one question I get. What's it like to work in Amazonville down you know over there? Because I I get a lot of calls from other cities that are on the list of where they might move to. What should we expect? <laughs> like everybody that works at Amazon is the same goddamn person, <laughs> and it's just not the case. Not every engineer at Boeing or Riveter at Boeing is the same person. Yeah, they all have a separate life and the wants and needs for their lives and their kids and. Their education and their art, artistry, and um, you have to treat everyone as an individual. And um, not sure how, what what path I, I got I, off to on there, but I, I, think I, I do get frustrated when when people think that there's
1: one way to do things. I like that. That's really cool. I mean, you're you're. I know you're very passionate about your team. I know you've said things that it takes a brigade, and and it truly does. I mean, you have scaled a business that it's not. What I would say easy to scale. I mean, if if you write a piece of code and technology, you can push it out, and there's millions of potential, billions of people that can adopt it. A restaurant or a number of restaurants. That's a hard business to scale, but you've done it. You've been able to.
0: Well, I think the harder I made it harder myself by by scaling not the same concept over and over and over again. So that's definitely that surprises people about what I do, and and frankly, it's fairly stupid on my part. But I would say the, the basis of the restaurant, the basis of our, um, our ethics of doing business are the same throughout, right? I believe in healthcare, right? I believe in that if you get the flu and you need to take four days off, that you should get sick pay. It's okay. Uh, you shouldn't lose your apartment because you got the flu, uh, you, sh- you know? So I think, I, b- I believe in compassionate comp- capitalism, essentially. And this is where I I, uh, I have issues with our current administration and our current. Uh, a lot of my, you know, I have a lot of good friends that are very wealthy. You know, they have jets and all sorts of things, and and uh, many of them are compassionate. Uh, but if the one percenters don't recognize pretty soon that if they continue to take up more and more of the wealth available in the marketplace, there's going to be a revolution. Mm-hmm. You have to share. You have if you're the only one getting rich, you're a failure, in my opinion. Yeah. And. Uh, nobody's pulled themselves up by their bootstraps you know they've all had roads to drive to public transportation they've all had the option of public schools uh we all have had help from our village and it is there's no shame in that i think it's awesome Uh, and then there's other people that you know like for me i've always felt like i'd be in a world of hurt you know how many customers i would have if i sent out dirty dishes uh with the my, my Fabulous food on dirty dishes. Uh, Very few. Very few customers, right? And you know, uh, there wouldn't be too many restaurants around without me taking a risk on building this particular restaurant. So it's for that dishwasher to work in. I need him, he needs me. And I live by that every day. We all have our jobs to do. Some of us are more talented in running a business. Other people are more talented in showing up and doing the dishes and going home and taking care of little kids. That was never my goal. So it doesn't make me better or worse than that dish buddy. It it just makes me doing my job. He's doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating.
1: Um, hmm. I have to ponder this for a second because this is this is some good this is some good information. I I have I've met many business owners in my life and um, not uh, not as successful as you in a lot of different ways. But you don't know if
0: I'm successful. Well, I do because you know the image of me is successful. I have well, plenty of loser restaurants. I have plenty of winner uh, restaurants. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about economics. I'm talking about you know
1: the the person that I see in front of me, one, two, and the the way you are going about living and, and mm-hmm. giving. I think that's to me somebody that's successful.
0: Um, well, I, am, I I would agree. I am successful in the fact that uh, I think more people like me that don't than don't. What's that? <laughs> <happening>? Yeah, <laughs> more people like you. than More people better. like yeah. me than don't. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah, um,
1: but but you you live your business and you live your life in a unique way. To for for me, and you're a business person that cares, compassionate, and also is willing to give back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very important takeaway for all of us because we are part of one community, you know, whether it's Pacific Northwest, whether it's the United States, whether it's the world, we're all interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you're willing to help and you're willing to share and you're willing to give back. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's very cool.
0: And I like it about us and I like it. it's part of the... uh, it's part of our mission statement in our company and my whole team feels that way. It's part of what we live by every day. Now number one is deliciousness served with graciousness, right? Yep. But part of uh, part of our tenets is that we make enough profit to give back to our community. I mean that is super important to all of us. Which is why every time one of my team members uh, comes to me and says, you know I'm running the Special Olympics marathon or I'm doing this or that, 100% support. I want them to To go out there and to be part of their community, and that, uh, and if I can be helpful in that way, I want to
1: support it. So, what can we do? So, what can we, as you know, people in the community that, that maybe don't have a business or don't have a restaurant, but but want to get involved, want to become better uh, citizens? Mm -hmm. What what would you say to somebody that's that's looking to give back, looking to help? Yeah. What would you, would you
0: tell uh, Well, f- first find your passion. Like okay. what is it that you feel strongly about? What, what talents do you bring to the table? And then find a charitable organization that matches. You know, uh, I've always been with, uh, I shouldn't say always, but for 35 years I've been on and off the board of Food Lifeline. Uh, I've always said that, you know, I am so thankful for people like yourself who come into my restaurant and get the check and actually pay it and <laughs> do all those kind of things. But I've never felt like it let me off the hook for the people that can't. Uh, There's many people that can't come into my restaurant and pay the bill. And so what I try to do through that passion to feed people is to feed both sides of that fence, right? The ones that can afford it and help take some of that money and help efficiently feed the ones that can't. Food Lifeline is the most efficient hunger organization in the state and in close to the country. We have a 4% overhead. They can take $1 and turn it into 16 pounds of food. Uh, So, how many of us used to think of the food bank, you reach into your cupboard and get the out-of-date or the dented can, or you know, they're so far beyond that, right? Yeah. They're rescuing millions of pounds of food every year. Uh, And I love that. That meets a couple of goals for me. One is, we're feeding hungry people. Two is efficiency. I hate giving a dollar and only 20% of it going towards the charitable part of the organization. The rest goes to overhead, right? So, uh, I... I'm just a big fan of that kind of thing, so that's what I would suggest to you: is that Mm -hmm. where do you have passion? Is it in art? There's so many of our schools that need art patrons, right? How do you how do you go down that road? There's plenty of ways to figure that out. But is it in theater? Is it in uh, is it in um, Special Olympics? There's opportunities galore. Very cool. It's and uh, you can sit here and talk about it all day, but at the end of the day, you got to get up and make a move. Make some actions. I've
1: actually so I've. I've tried to give back in my limited way that I can, but one of the ways is by volunteering. Mm-hmm. And and volunteering, um, there's been a couple of different organizations. Uh, Children's Hospital has been one of them, but also Food Lifeline. And I was, I think, with the WAC, Washington Athletic Club. I, um, we had brought in a, a group of us uh, members that um, volunteered. And I think we spent a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Repacking. The, repacking, that's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And it was so amazing being there and being part of that experience. Um, and I feel I could do more, right? Mm-hmm. And I think as an individual in the community that I enjoy and I love, um, I think I can do more. And so that's…
0: So um, that's where you say, okay, who runs your board? Who's, who's the person that is in charge of finding new board members when you're volunteering there next, right? And here's my email. Yeah. If they're interested in having a board member, I'd be, this is my talent, uh, talent areas. And you know, as a board member, we're always looking for someone in finance, we look for someone in legal, we look for someone in, in uh, philanthropy, we look for all those areas that every organization needs, right? And, and that's how the ball gets rolling, it's, it's super awesome. But I will say, just to clear up on Food Lifeline, it's not a food bank. Just uh, We need Food Lifeline to help our food banks, it's right. a food bank distributor, right? right. So um, the best story I heard at Food Lifeline over the years was we got a call from Jolly Green Giant in Nebraska, and they, you know, and, and this is how things work in the food bank world. Right now, it's uh, through Feeding America that's our central place, but it used to be even to individual food bank distributors. Got a call from Jolly Green Giant saying, "You know, we have three carloads or seventy thousand pounds of frozen green beans that are the wrong color. They're not green. They weren't the color green. You know, they have a grading chart for oh, the color okay. green that they accept, uh, and they were the wrong color of uh, green for them." Perfectly delicious, perfectly frozen, perfectly everything, all in 1,000-pound totes, right? You can have the green beans, but you've got to figure out how to get them Transport from them. Nebraska to Seattle. Ah. And so part of be having the right board mix is we had somebody from Burlington Northern on our board said, well, we'll do that. We'll bring those three cars on the next trip back to Seattle, but you have to figure out, Food Lifeline, how to get them from the train depot to the warehouse. So then at the end of the day, we got 70,000 pounds of green beans for 300 bucks. Wow. So that's how efficient Food Lifeline can be because all we have to do is pay a truck driver to get them from the depot to the warehouse. We had 70 semi-trailers of federal government excess pork, frozen boxes of pork, 70 trailers. They call Food Lifeline, we call Rainier Cold Storage, they donate the space to take 70 semi-trailers of pork. Wow! And in less than seven months, we have it distributed to every food bank and meal program in Western Washington. Wow! Those—that's what a food bank distributor does, right? And so, super important, so that your local food bank, University Food Bank or the West Seattle Food Bank, yeah. isn't out there taking the dollars that they've raised and going to the same store you and I go to yeah. and purchasing at retail the products that their their customer needs. So we're
1: going to get a little bit of a tangent here. What what's been your favorite journey so far? I mean. I'm talking about trips and and, or things that you have built. What's what's been your favorite journey? Has it been?
0: You know, I I walk into a team of a thousand coworkers every day. Um, My, I I have. I'm in an office and I go down and I walk through the restaurants and. uh, You just never know when a day is going to present its uniqueness. You know, sometimes they all feel the same. Oh, just more problems, more problems, and then. Uh, I was just over at Brave Horse the other day, and I probably hadn't been in the Brave Horse in a few months, and that happens sometimes with uh, our 20-some businesses. I'm either traveling, or I just didn't quite get over there, or something like that, and uh, I was sitting there, and as I often do, I'll taste through the entire menu in one sitting, and I'll just either look at it, or taste it, or you know, get a sense for how things are going from a menu perspective, and this, uh, my manager came up to me, as new manager at Brave Horse, and she says, I have someone that wants to meet you and usually that's a customer and uh so i always you know happy to meet and she brings out this young kid from the kitchen uh, who couldn't have been more than 20 years old maybe 19 or something like that and he was kind of trembling a bit and he came up to mr douglas and i've always wanted to work for you and uh first of all i have to correct him is that you work with me not for me because I'm, i'm a big believer in that in the co-worker business but um, it was just so charming it was such a nice moment for me I think he enjoyed it uh, because he got to meet somebody he had heard a lot about uh, for me it was uh, it just warmed my heart you know it was just it was awesome and the fact that you you forget sometimes how much you influence people's lives through our business and uh, youngsters who are getting their first jobs or yeah. Other people, actually many of my team have been with me more than 10 years. I think we have about, of our uh, 950 coworkers. I think we have about 110 that have been with us over 10 years. Uh, so it, it, you are family and uh, I never get up one day and not realize that. Wow, that's so wonderful.
1: I, uh, I, I agree with you, I mean you, you are as a business owner, provide, you know, business owner, you are an influencer for that team and the people mm-hmm. that are uh, part of it. Uh, what I think is wonderful about the food and beverage industry is the skills that you hone or, you know, master if you don't hone them um, in 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 the time that you're working in the food and beverage industry. Mm-hmm. I've I've had the the luck to be in in the food and beverage industry as a young person, and it taught me so much. It taught me how to connect with people, how to interact with them, um, taught me how, how to hard, socialize with them, how to right? socialize with yeah. them how to overcome a hard day's work and and what a hard day's work is. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like sometimes that people that have not had that experience uh, are missing out on realizing what a hard day's work is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, sometimes,
0: not always, takes things for granted a little bit. Totally Uh, take it for granted. Business, you know, people walk into our business and they see... uh, Like, uh, my favorite is they walk into... Uh, and they, they just look around and the place is hopping and it's full and it feels good, it feels right. Nothing better than a full restaurant, nothing worse than an empty one. And they just look at me and they just think, God, this guy is raking in the dough. This is like cash cow, this is blah, <laughs> blah, blah. And then you know uh, they have no clue of uh, the expense structure of a restaurant and the yeah. and, uh, fact that we have more employees per revenue dollar than any other business in the world. Uh, we have those uh, that hour and a half doesn't come near that hour and a half at lunch doesn't come near to pay what it costs to be open. Uh, you have to do some dinner business or you're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you are, you know, that hour and a half, everything has to be structured around that hour and a half. Everything has to be perfect. The margins for me for 29 years in business, uh, uh, I've averaged 6% margin before taxes. 29 years in business. Mario Batali told me that if he had averaged 6%, he'd be out of the business. He'd get out of the business. It wasn't worth to him. He knew how to do it better than I did in, in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is the reality. Because when you see that hour and a half, you don't see that from... Eight eight o'clock tonight till ten when we're open that we didn't have a full house and you still have to pay your entire staff and still have to pay your rent and all the other things. So it's it's interesting that the people's perception of our business is very different than the reality sometimes. Yeah.
1: Well, I've I've had friends that have um, uh, locally in Seattle have invested in different restaurants mm-hmm. and um, never, you know, that never had a return for them. It was it was an interesting experience, an interesting experience. But as you know, most restaurants that are started fail because of whatever Mm -hmm. reason. So,
0: um,
1: yeah, it's. I have
0: some restaurants that should fail. Luckily, I have others that make up the difference, and so I haven't had to pull the plug. But I definitely have winners and losers. Uh, There's a perception that because you have one winner, that they're all winners, and it's just not the case. Interesting,
1: huh? what is um, as as we're talking? I'm getting a chance to to know you better and, and really connect with your with your personality. But I w- I'd like to ask you, what is your most marked characteristic? Um,
0: what makes Tom? that's up for somebody else to kind of okay. for to decide. You know, what do they think of when they think of me? I often hear that. Um, I mean, superficially, I'm big, have big um, hair. Uh, you know, there's a lot of superficial things that make yeah. me who I am. Uh, internally, I think people think that I, I'm a nice person. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I read online what people have to say about me, it's crushing and disheartening. Huh. And I shouldn't say crushing. I don't let it crush me. It probably did the first years of the internet, but not anymore. People just are mean. You know, people can just be yeah. mean for no reason at all. Uh, and they obviously don't know me. When you, when I read some of the stuff, uh, I often <laughs> say that I have to go to the internet to find out what I'm doing next because everyone seems to know but oh. me. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, I don't know what trait I have. Uh, you know, I'm, I try to be generous. If, if, uh, if there was one trait that I feel like I want to continue to get do more of, which is generosity. I, in, in spirit, in uh, treasure, in mentorship, uh, in all the areas that uh, I wish we were all more generous. And in, in
1: some of the past interviews that I've heard, um, you um, you had made comments about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Is that a practice that you you follow, and if so, how and how does that work? Again, out? I think
0: that comes with age. Okay. Uh, I think sometimes you're a little flippant. I was giving a speech uh, for Forefront the other night, a, a group that works on suicide and, and suicide prevention, and yeah. I talked about. Uh, You know, I got up after a couple of people who, one who had tried and was successful, you know, his wife spoke about losing her husband and, you know, the dad to her two little boys. And the other guy guy got up who happened to know her husband and never got to the try part but was very close several times. And these were Mm -hmm. super sad stories. And I thought to myself, how am I going to give a chat after this? (laughs) You know, I don't know where to go. It's just so sad. And so um, it struck me that I've always thought about suicide kind of flippantly. You know it never was real for me even though some of my team over the years and some of my acquaintances have committed suicide yeah. it never struck me so 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 hard yeah. you know as far as myself you know, it was like haven't you ever you've know, been driving down the freeway at 80 or 90 miles an hour and think god if I just turn the wrong way right now I'm a dead man yeah. you know, those are maybe not those are morbid thoughts maybe but they're not suicidal thoughts yeah uh, and then uh, So, I I talked about being flippant about it as a 14 year old kid stealing my mom's car. And then, you know, not even knowing how to drive, I'm playing England on the street, right? On a hill, going down the wrong side of the road with my buddies in the back, you know, who I picked up in my (laughs) stolen car. And, you know, how stupid. That's suicidal, but it's really just more stupid, more than suicidal. (laughs) Um, But then it struck me, you know, um, in my chat, thinking about Anthony Bourdain and friend of mine had many drinks together uh, and the trauma that it caused so many of my young team literally sobbing in tears having to go home from work and and just uh, just terrified about oh my god if he does this where does that leave me and um, recognizing for the first time that their hero is a human being you know and that. We all have our flaws. And I've known Tony. He's been morbid all his life. You know, I haven't known him all his life, but I've known him for the last 20 years. And he's been, he's He's a morbid guy. Really? Yeah. And he's always admitted that. There was no surprise uh, in that uh, he would consider this in my mind. It's sad that he went through with it. But but he's always been, you know, a bit morbid that way. But that's how those things come about. And, And mindful is about being mindful of people's feelings. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned in the last, say, five years is not just listening, but hearing. And that's a tough thing. That was a tough thing for me. I go into a thought, and maybe you and I have a conversation about you're unhappy with your manager, or you're, uh, you are you feel like you're not being treated fairly, and I go into that meeting and I'm thinking to myself, I know what they're going to say, I know what I'm going to say in response, and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, I have had to learn how to hear mm. and sit back and let it let them say what they have to say and let them uh, get to every bit of me, uh, to my heart and to my soul, so that I actually hear their pain and then kind of react. Maybe not not even immediately, but maybe the next day, or maybe whatever. But taking the time to hear it and feel it has been a growth for me uh, over the last five years that I'm really proud of, mm-hmm. and it's really helpful. It connects you with people in a different way when you hear what they have to say. You know? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, all right, so I'm curious about the farm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Prosper farm, 20 acres, uh, sounds like an incredible- Seven
0: under cultivation. Say what?
1: Seven acres under cultivation. Seven acres 20 under- 20-acre
0: farm, but only seven are garden ah, gardens. Okay.
1: Um, so, how much of that food makes it to the restaurants?
0: Hundred percent,
1: hundred percent of that. Okay, and is it um, this year? It would
0: be close to a hundred thousand pounds. Wow. Organic. Okay, I was going. That was my next question. Is it organic? Is it standard? Okay. Um, it's not certified organic because that takes ten years. But I heard um, about this. Yeah. yeah, and plus, in that area of the world, it's all agriculture. Yeah. And so it's even hard to get certified organic because of the overspray from all the orchards in the neighborhood. You know, yeah. Across from us, there's 300 acres of hops. There's another 300 acres of uh, Concord grapes. Uh, there's apples behind us. There's dairies. There's all yeah. sorts of things that happen in the air over there. There's sure. the Byron ponds which get spay- sprayed because of West Nile virus oh, well. with mosquitoes. Well. So it's hard to be organic over there in any any yeah. real way. But we yeah. don't spray anything on our Products. Nice. Um, What kind of what kind of
1: products do you guys farm there? Is it is it vegetables? Is it
0: runs the gamut of it's all vegetables. We don't do any meat products. Uh, We have eggs from our chickens, but Mm. those are mostly just for us. And uh, once in a while, they make the menu at at, uh, Palace Kitchen. Uh, But um, you know, huge into nightshades like uh, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, uh, things like that. We have thirty five hundred tomato plants this year. Uh, which produced about thirty thousand pounds of tomatoes, so it's a nice return. But without snowpack, I mean, that's where climate change comes in, right? Without the snowpack uh, fueling the Yakima River, fueling the irrigation of the whole Yakima Valley, yeah, you're screwed. Yeah, it's desert over there, right? So uh, that's it's interesting. We have uh, when we bought, we made sure we had grandfather water rights, water rights even yeah. though we didn't know we were going to farm at the time. We just bought this beautiful. Piece of property, cool. and uh, we were Jackie, my wife, was doing a little small little patch for the house, <laughs> and with some extra stuff, we took it to the restaurant. I said, why don't we do more of this? We got all this acreage. Why don't we do more of this? We have water rights, <laughs> and so she started a little bit at a time. Uh, you know, first a half acre, then an acre. Now she's up to seven acres, oh, wow. and uh, gets bigger every year. And we have a farmer now and a team nice. over their farm team over there, and um, it is it's awesome.
1: Is it is this um. Yeah is this happening with other chefs where they're they're creating or they have farms that they're integrating into their
0: well certainly it's happened before but it it's not typical i would okay. say with other chefs now okay. uh, it's a lot of work and it's not profitable it's it's, it's really there is just no just upside to this passion other in. than the the story we yeah. love living the story of farming and understanding it so when farmers come to our back door we know their plight Mother Nature is vicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she gives and not she lo- takes away. Not a lot of room for negotiation <laughs> <No>. there. <huh?
1: laughs> um, Tom, you, you've been the recipient of three James Beard Awards. Yeah, four in our company. Four. Eric, my partner, won one as a sh- chef at the Dalio also. Eric uh, Tanaka? Tanaka? Tanaka. Tanaka, okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, congratulations Thank for you. all of those awards.
0: Thank you. Um, We've been nominated 30 times. Really? So our winning percentage is not very good.
1: <laughs> Wow, well, um, I didn't know that. I did not know that you guys were nominated thirty times. Um, I'm sure it's been well deserved in every one of those nominations. But what is it like being? What is it like receiving that award? What happens um, as you walk through and and yeah. get the trophy and?
0: You know, of course, it's changed over the years. When they first started the awards, they weren't. They didn't carry the importance that they do now, mm-hmm. and maybe in some ways they were more important because it was a smaller event. Uh, and so you were less people up against more people. But uh, I, I distinctly remember all three. Uh, one was uh, my first one as best chef Northwest, and I uh, was like my fifth nomination for that category, and I finally won, but I tied with a young woman from uh, Fuller's Restaurant at the Sheraton Hotel, Monique Barbeau. <laughs> and so we're at the audience in the uh, in the Marquis Hotel in Marriott Marquis Mar- 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 in uh, Manhattan, you know. And, you're walking down the aisle and the lights and at that time it was live on TV and the lights are all the spotlights are on you and and there's Monique you know we both tied so there she is she is unbelievably beautiful she's wearing a black spaghetti strap uh, evening gown she looks Awesome, and here's this fat chubby guy <laughs> kind of bringing up the rear and it's like great I win this award finally and I've got to go up there on stage with Monique Barbeau. I, just her name for God's sake She's about the sexiest woman alive uh, and uh, so anyway, so that was that's what uh That's how that happened, and then the second one was the book, and I wasn't there. I sent my co-author for the book, and I wasn't there. Uh, That was a shocker. Seattle Seattle Kitchen, Kitchen. yeah, Yeah. Seattle Kitchen won Best Americana Cookbook that year.
1: And I got to tell you, that picture with you and the pretty studly, huh? That is pretty
0: studly. Yeah, my nephew (laughs) came to Halloween party, dressed as me, (laughs) as the cover of that book the other day, and uh, and then uh, the third one, the Restaurant Tour Award again. I was like my fourth or fifth nomination, and uh, it was fairly shocking to win it. But I was tired of losing, so I went to the bar across the street. I didn't go to the awards that night. And I, uh, uh, Daniel Balou, who has a very famous New York chef, had a restaurant called uh, Ballou Sued across the street. And so I was sitting at the bar, all my team was in the house at Lincoln Center. Uh, and then all of a sudden, my phone was on the bar, and I was drinking a cheap bottle of Chianti. And my phone on the counter started like just jumping kind of off the counter. And I immediately knew Loretta, my daughter, was over in the hall, and immediately knew right away uh, that something big had happened because it just went crazy. And so I turned to the waiter and I said, "Bring me your best bottle of (laughs) Barolo." That was my first thought after winning. So uh, it was. That's a good thought. It was super fun. Yeah. That's a great
1: thought. Um, What um, so for the aspiring James uh, Beard Award winners or? Beard Award nominees that are out there. What would you tell them? Like, what would help them get nominated and or win?
0: Well, if I knew the secret, I wouldn't have had thirty nominations and only three wins. <laughs> okay. So I'll I'll say that right okay. off the bat. Um, okay. You know, Eduardo, Eduardo Jordan from um, June Baby and um, his other restaurants over there in Ravenna is really just on a hot streak right now and winning these awards and. I would say he is true to himself. He is—he uh, doesn't try to be anyone or try to do food that is not from his heart. And his food, like June Baby, is like this little Southern gem. So it's not anything fancy, so to speak. Uh, David Chang, one you know, kind of helped blaze that trail of Mama Fuko and just doing really just cool-ass Korean food that near to his heart. So I'd say be true to yourself and just. Uh, you do have to promote yourself, uh, but uh, the food itself is, is uh, generally what counts. And uh, I think it's pretty cool. Well,
1: let's take a, take a little bit of a uh, step away from the politics of, of things and, and f- go back to, uh, to you. Um, you know, you've done a lot uh, defining our, our food and beverage industry uh, in, in the Seattle area. I mean, you, you're a pillar of the community your pillar of the uh, restaurant scene, uh, you have done a lot and, and I'm curious to hear your perspective about the future of the Seattle the Pacific Northwest
0: food scene. What, yeah. What's that going to look like? Well if I knew I could be a rich man. I, <laughs> I have uh, no idea. I, I would say I lament some of the changes that have happened because of uh, of the Nature of getting business done and getting it done now. You know, uh, I do honestly not just from the sales perspective, but I do honestly miss the two martini lunch. Mm. There was something so charming about having to go take a nap after lunch, <laughs> 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 and uh, watching business get done at the table over a, you know a drink. Or uh, I do think that that is has gone by the wayside a bit. Uh, mm. uh, I miss the. Restaurant tour as kind of operator, like Victor Rosalini was uh, in uh, his restaurants. He was, you don't even know who for, he is. For doing. those that aren't familiar with it, yeah, Victor, myself, when I came to town, was Victor. Victor was the man. Okay. He and Ivor Hagelin were the men in town, right? So, uh, but Victor was just an operator. All the politicos would go to Rosalini's 410 huh. uh, and uh, they would all hang out. and He would put them in this room or that room and they would sit around. And, you know, we're talking about the mayor and the city council, and they would get work done. They would get business done over lunch and over martinis, and uh, frankly, a Shama Sawant would have a martini once in a while. I think life would be better (laughs) in Seattle. You know, I'm going to edit that out, but I agree with you. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't edit it out, I'm perfectly serious. All of the city council, if they were to have a martini over lunch someday, (laughs) and get with the mayor, and get with the business leaders, and get with uh, representatives of the Uh, labor community and but if they were sit down and share a meal break some bread together a a lot can get done over a meal and I think it's missing. Uh, So I come
1: from a small east southeastern European country where uh, governance was an issue Mm -hmm. uh, primarily because it was a communist government for a long time Mm Albania small country. Um, Governance here for me is, is an important part for the people and I by the people by the people and I and I that's the that's the thing that I love about America and then I feel like we've, we're sort of losing a little bit our, it's it's escaping because we're dividing people are dividing us away from that mm-hmm. core governance that our country was established in mm-hmm. and I would like to do something to change it one two I like us to improve that communication and like you said break bread, Sit down and have a conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think it's it's, uh, it's it's a lost art, and um, frankly, I've been thinking about a series of. Uh, for me, it always comes down to a dinner, but sitting at a, a large table and letting um, letting people, you know, creating topics uh, and inviting people to just kind of come join it. It's interesting.
1: We we all have our int- interests and in, in everything else, but when it comes to politics, you know. You could you could be socially um, socially acceptable mm-hmm. or accepting, right? Um, so you can be fiscally conservative, but socially responsible, or I forget what the saying goes. Mm-hmm. And I think like there there's a our our politics right now are putting us into two different camps and two different sort of bands uh, or tribes. And mm-hmm. I think there's there's people like you and people like me that that are there trying to be good people mm-hmm. in our community and serve and are willing to collaborate with with the yeah you know, different camp and i think as long as we keep trying to be better people and trying to be better community mm-hmm. and you know members and citizens and and try to stay away from the divisiveness that's Hitting us right now in our country. I think we're gonna be okay.
0: Well it's interesting you know I hear my Republican friends say you know why they voted for Mr. Trump and and you know I like his fiscal policies that you know I don't like his social policies at all blah blah blah. Yeah. His social policies are so far out there right, right that to me you've just chosen money over your neighbor. You've just chosen money over a woman. Or over healthcare for kids. You've made a very serious choice now. It wasn't the same when like Bill Clinton who was a centrist in my opinion uh, and of course he had his own issues but sure. outside of Monica Lewincy uh, which of course family values seemed to matter back then but they don't seem to matter anymore uh, but outside of that he was a centrist right and yeah. uh, it's it's uh, astonishing to me how you can be okay with the, the dollar, but you don't care about the social aspects of it. It's, it's, uh, I can't make that choice. I, I always side with the person, with, the, with, my, with my neighbor, so. Yeah,
1: no, I agree. I'll I think leave it at that. I think that's how we all need to uh, think and, and live because I think we, we would have a better world mm-hmm. as a result. Um, Tom, you, you can live anywhere in the world, uh, why Seattle? at this point you can
0: oh it's easy now I mean I'm, I'm a I'm a citizen I'm an involved active citizen I have responsibilities and family and um I could live anywhere you know I've been to pretty much everywhere uh, and I find everywhere if you know it, it's fairly the same it's your you it's you the person that and your values that are important so uh I I could live in Santa Fe and be the same person I am today and and have friends and do what I do, do restaurants and blah blah blah. I don't think it's about where Seattle's a beautiful place, but there's many beautiful places. Um, like I couldn't live in Phoenix. I just don't know how they have water. (laughs) That's what always bothers me. That's why I love the the Seattle rain, you know, it's like I don't have to worry about water. In Phoenix, I worry about water. Just being a guest there for two days, it's like, where does my shower come from? I can't figure it out. What,
1: uh, um,
0: but it's beautiful.
1: It, it, Yeah. Yeah. It's got its natural beauty, yeah. um, just like we have. It's, it's yeah. a polar, polar opposite of ours. But Tom, you've also been a an author, and I, I love your books. I actually have one of your books yeah, here. Yeah, I love Crab Cakes. Uh, I right? love Crab Cakes. Mm-hmm. By Tom Douglas, uh-huh. it was signed by you. Um, in two- Here's the thing I hate
0: about being an author. What? O- open up to that first page. And this really bugs me because you know one of my favorite buildings in the entire world is the Library of Congress. Oh yeah. And you know, as an yeah. author, every book that you do here in America—I don't know if it's worldwide or not—but as a, as an author, you get a Library of Congress number ah, for each of your books. I did not know this. But what bugs me the most is look at under my author. Douglas Tom, uh-huh. 1958 58. hyphen, they are just waiting for you to oh. die <laughs> so they can close the book <laughs> on <No. laughs> you. And I hate that about being an author is that it's really you're not complete until you can fill out after that hyphen. Oh, boy. <laughs> I
1: Thank you for sharing that. I do not even so re- realize that was me. there. Uh, but, but folks, um, this is a great book, by the way. <laughs> um, if, especially if you like crab cakes. Yeah, um, no kidding. Since there's all...
0: 50 crab cake <laughs> recipes and nothing else in there. <laughs>
1: but mm-hmm. what out of all the your books you've you've you started with Seattle Kitchen, mm-hmm. um, and then the most recent one was Dahlia Bakery. Dahlia Bakery. Big dinners uh,
0: is in there. Big dinners,
1: yeah. yeah. What uh what what is the must have out of all of those? I mean, obviously, if you're a crab cake person, you got to get the I love crab cakes, but
0: that's like asking me my favorite of my restaurants. It yeah, just yeah. doesn't work that way. I use them the same way you might, right? If I'm going to a show uh, late night, I'm going to go to the palace afterwards, sure. right? Uh, if I'm going bringing friends to a quintessential Seattle experience, I'm going to the Dahlia. So uh, I would say of my books, the Seattle kitchen was very much uh, the recipes were dictated by our customers. I sent out a newsletter question and, uh, and the customers came back and we picked out the top 150 recipes they asked for. Big dinners are you know lovely meals that we've cooked at home for family and friends, and uh, it is the least successful of the books, but it's probably got uh, plenty of heart in there from us. Uh, and mostly it's least successful because people say, well, I never cook big dinners, so they don't buy the book, right? Mm-hmm. So, but it's really not about that. It's about uh, cooking and enjoying, and the recipes are in large format, but it's easy to break down. And, uh, crab cakes I came from the mid-Atlantic when I first moved here in 77. And we had crab cakes from the boardwalk to the boardroom. And when I got to Seattle, not one restaurant had a crab cake on the menu. And yet wow. there were mountains, literally mountains of crab, whether it was the Pike Place Market or the grocery store. So uh, it just seemed like a natural, and I got famous for crab cakes. <laughs> and the Dolly Bakery cons- con- continues to be a phenomenon in our world. little 150-square-foot bakery that uh, just rocks my world. So.
1: And I, I know that you you were actually on the New York Times bestsellers list. Yeah, for the Dolly Bakery. Dahlia Bakery. You
0: know, the interesting thing about that, it only, you only have to be there for like 30 seconds <laughs> and you can put the sticker on your book for the life of the book. So I don't know. I think we were there for a week or two and uh, I still use that sticker very proudly. So if we're
1: kind of rounding up here, with your... Your journey so far, your success that you've, and the lessons you've learned. <clears throat> what would you want to share with the next generation of of your company and or of the Seattle food and beverage uh, industry? What what's the? I would say,
0: you know, you continue to use the word successes, and really, what makes you a stronger person and a stronger operator is getting through your failures mm. and uh, learning from them and not repeating them and. Uh, I think most successful people have adapted from their failures Mm. and we certainly had plenty still continue to have plenty Mm -hmm. and so that's what I would say is that uh, uh, you know don't repeat the same mistakes learn learn. from them Uh, use your gut you know I've given speeches at the you know i would never even went to college and yet I keep getting asked to give talks at the University of Washington Foster School of Business it's like I I go in there and they're so full of numbers they're so full of uh, Business techniques in their head that they forget to use their gut and their mm. heart, and uh, to me, that's part of what uh, success is: is being able to is to use your common sense and to use your gut feelings and.
1: So stay to true to stay, so true, to so who stay, who stay true to who you are. Yeah, and use your gut.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I have plenty of gut to go around. So. <laughs> Happy to loan
1: some out. Um, Tom, thank you. You Thanks have for been an me. incredible host, and we're really excited. You're the host. I hate to break it to you. Yes, sorry. Yes, yes, <laughs> incredible guess. And
0: Thanks thank you so much for coming. For
1: me. Really appreciate it. I've been a
0: rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every time. Don't be one of those people, 20 years from now are gonna be walking around in a nine to five job, miserable and angry and bitter.
1: bitter, bitter. bitter.